Crossing family, I am so glad that you guys decided to show up and hang out at church with us this weekend. You guys can go ahead and have a seat if you're still standing. We're super thankful for each and every single one of you. I want to welcome those of you joining at all of our different locations, those of you watching inside, and of course, all of you watching online. This Mother's Day weekend, we have a very special treat. Uh, if you were a part of Uncommon last year, we brought in three great communicators, and one of those communicators is Tyler McKenzie. And I reached out to him and asked him if he'd be willing to come and share with us this weekend. Uh, for those of you who don't know him, he is a young leader in a large church who's making a big impact inside of our movement. He's the senior pastor of Northeast Christian Church, which is in Kentucky, and it's either Louisville, Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky, or Kentucky. And he is here to hang out with us this weekend. So if you guys would please put your hands together and do a big crossing welcome for my friend and our preacher this weekend, Mr. Tyler McKenzie. Love it. Yeah, so good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Crossing fam, whenever you're watching this, wherever you're joining us from, I am so excited to be with you. I'll be in part two of a series you kicked off last week called Surrounded, in which you're looking at the groups of people that surrounded Jesus and uh, how he interacted with them. And I have been given the esteemed honor on this Mother's Day weekend of addressing the topic of women. Because Clayton wasn't going to touch that. I'm just saying, like... He told me, he's like, my wife's going to be in the audience. And I'm not trying to sleep on the couch for the next uh, few weeks. So my wife's not in the audience. She's in Louisville. She'll never hear this. So here we are. Um, now, I got to tell you, I have I've known Clayton for uh, a year or two now. And I have admired him from afar. I honestly wish that we lived closer, to be honest with you, because I think we'd be tighter. I think we'd be uh, sharing more leadership insights. Every time I talk to the guy on the phone, I learn something new. And more importantly, I get my passion tank filled up for the mission of God and to take God's love to the lost, honestly. And so uh, I would say that you're lucky to have a leader like him here. Jerry is a great leader. Great leaders see great leaders. And, uh, and I mean, just to, to watch how this kind of transition has happened to the two leaders here has been a blessing to me. Now, uh, real quick intro on me. Clayton hit some of it. Again, my name is Tyler. I'm from Louisville. It's Louisville. Just two, just really one and a half syllables, Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I've been there for 10 years, uh, but I was actually raised in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. The reason why we ended up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina was because my dad's ministry took us there, which means, yes, I'm a preacher's kid, which means, yes, I out likely, or I likely outsend most of you like 10 to 1 by the age of 18. Are there any preacher's kids, by the way, in, in this room today? Yeah, one, Okay. It's because the rest of them are probably in a county penitentiary or, or out vandalizing the cars in the parking lot. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, that's how the preacher's kids roll. Now, I want to introduce you to the best part of me. This is my beautiful family. We'll start on this end. This is my lovely wife of, this will be 11 years now, Lindsay McKenzie. She is a worship pastor, and she has a heart of gold. She's my pastor as well, um, which a lot of people don't realize with a pastor's wife. But, man, she pastors and ministers to me in profound ways. And, um, you know, look, okay. Ladies in the room, <laughs> I know what you're thinking. When you see a girl like her and you see a guy like me, you're thinking, man, he must be rich. <laughs> and it's true, you know, that's why we get into the ministry. It's for the money, right? No, uh, wrong industry. This is our oldest, Palmer. Uh, he is seven years old. He's a baseball player. This is our youngest, Olsen. He's one years old. He is the cookie monster. Can eat three cookies at once. I've seen it. And uh, this is our middle. 
my four-year-old daughter, Larkin Rose. And that is where I would like to begin my message today on women. Because until January 17th, 2018. I got to be honest with you, as a man of God, I had not thought very much about what it meant to be a woman of God. I had not thought very much about what it meant to raise a woman of God. I had not thought very much about the obstacles that women face, especially women of God in our world today. But then January 7th, 2018 happened and everything changes. Your perspective changes when you become a parent, right? Maybe you're a mother of a son. All of a sudden, you start thinking about boys and men just a bit differently. Same thing happened to me as father of daughter. Now, look, I know that everybody's kid's above average. I get it. But mine actually are. Uh, So when I started realizing how incredibly gifted Larkin was, I started asking myself questions that I had never thought of before. Like, um, well, you know, why is it that there's never been a female president of the United States? Because she could do it. Maybe right now better than, anyway. So, like, I'm just, like, she could. When I realized how incredibly gifted she was, I, uh, I started praying for her husband. If, if she marries, which she probably won't, I'll probably be her best guy forever. Um, she, ain't, she, I mean, she definitely ain't dating until 33, but I started praying for her husband because, because I want a strong man to partner with her. She's going to be a strong woman. So men have this joke. Have you ever heard guys tell it before? Um, it's not a very good one. In fact, it's kind of ridiculous when you think about it. We have this joke that we say to each other. We'll be like, uh, bro, you, you really outkicked out, out your punt coverage. Or, or, man, you married out of your league. Right? You ever heard guys say that? You ever said that to a friend before? By the looks of the guys in the room right now, um, it's true. But uh, I don't know if you ever thought about that before, men, but that's actually not a compliment to the woman. Like, I don't want that for my Larkin. I don't want her uh, husband someday to outkick his punt coverage or marry out of his league so that she has to marry down. No, I want her to find a strong enough man for the strong woman that I know she'll be. And if you know my wife, she's going to take after her. She's going to be a strong woman. When I met Lindsay in seminary, uh, she didn't need a man to give her a reason to exist. She had God. I had to give her a reason to make room for me in her schedule. And I did. (laughs) That's what I want for my little girl. Things change when you have a daughter. Now, what I've discovered taking deep interest in how Jesus thinks and talks and interacts with women is that he has a compellingly beautiful vision for what authentic womanhood looks like. And that's what I want to share with you today because this vision stands in beautiful resistance. That's intentional language. In beautiful resistance to the way that our culture falsely defines womanhood today. Uh, Let's start with our culture. Several years ago, I was reading a study on societal pressures that both men and women feel when it comes to being masculine or feminine. Let's start with the men. These were the words that men associated with being manly in the United States today. Words like winning, emotional withdrawal, defiance, violence, dominance, the playboy persona, self-reliance, the prioritization of work, leadership over women, disdain for effeminacy and pursuit of status. Or in other words, men hear the messaging every single day, do not be perceived as weak. And I think that can be incredibly damaging to a man. 
Now, on the flip side, I think the societal pressures on women are even worse. Here were the words that women associated. Uh, Be thin, be pretty, be nice, be quiet, be domestic, be a good wife, and be an even better mom. Or in other words, if I could summarize them in three categories, look sexy, mother well, and never lead. The study went on to show that from these three broad categories is where women experience a tremendous amount of shame, most shame that they carry with them. So let's just ask the million-dollar question, women and men in the room today. uh, Is this supposed to be the center of our identity as followers of Jesus? Can you go to the previous three? Let me ask you. What's missing from this list, Jesus followers? Well, noticeably missing from this list is anything at all that has to do with being a follower of Jesus. Noticeably missing from this list is the idea that a woman could make the impact outside of the home. I mean, God forbid some little girl with a cure for cancer ever comes across this list right here. Noticeably missing from this list as well is, is the idea that women have anything to offer men other than sex and a clean house. See, you know, one of our big problems today is that there's no balanced voices in this conversation. You got people kind of on the extreme right that are like, we gotta keep women in subordination and submission. Then you got people on the extreme left that are like, we gotta beat the men into submission, right? And like, it's just, where do we find a balanced voice? I'm telling you, when you look at how Jesus interacts with, with women throughout the scriptures, it's not just balanced, it's transcendent. He transcends the like left versus right, uh, right political fray that everything gets pushed into today and he gives us a beautiful vision. So I wanna cast that beautiful vision for you and I wanna do it by asking a few questions that I think apply well to these three categories. Here's the first question. How many kids uh, must a woman have to be a good follower of Jesus. How many kids? Is it one? Two? Ten? Okay, you do know that Mary, by the way, Jesus' mom, had at least six. There were four boys, and it says Jesus had sisters, plural. So at least six. And I'm just saying, if you want to be like the blessed mother, some of y'all need to like double down, triple down. Some of you need to leave church right now and go home. Anyways, I'm just... Let me, let me ask, it, ask it to you in a little bit of a different way. Next slide here. How many kids did Jesus and his wife have? Now, the answer to that ridiculous question is zero. Jesus was not married. Uh, Jesus did not have any kids. So while Scripture presents parenthood as an absolutely worthwhile and significant calling for anyone to give their life to... It also says that there's more to life. There's more to your identity. There's something more fundamentally core to who you are than just being a mom or just being a dad. Now, Jesus hits on this in uh, in Luke chapter 11, verse 27. So uh, it says that as Jesus was speaking, a woman in the crowd called out, God bless your mother. To which Jesus is like, thank you. Appreciate that. Love her. I'm preaching, though. Um, The womb from which you came. Okay, now you're talking about my mom's womb, a little strange. The breast that nursed you. Oh, all right, don't talk about my mama like that. So you know what I'm saying? But like, if you could imagine, this is, he's, while he's preaching, this woman shouts out. Now, it's important for you to understand, by the way, that this is what societal norms said in Jesus' sort of patriarchal culture. Uh, this is what it said, made a good woman. 
A good woman was based on their childbearing capacity. Hopefully it was mostly boys, and hopefully it was boys that turned out to honor their family and community well. And if that was what measured a woman, well, then Mary hit the jackpot. Like, you got honor roll student on the back of your car, imagine her bumper sticker, son of God, right? Like, she's just, she's doing well. Now, what I love about Jesus here is that he doesn't like, he doesn't put this woman down and he doesn't degrade the role of his mother or of motherhood, but rather he antes up in what he says back to her and actually refocuses or wraps the identity of a woman around something even more important than motherhood. Luke chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus replied, it says, even more blessed interesting. Even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. Hmm. By the way, the Greek word here for blessed is makarios. It basically means honored by God. So who does Jesus say God honors most? Not a woman, not a man, not a mother, not a shebal CEO. It says God honors most anyone who simply hears God's word and puts it into practice. That's what's central. So perhaps I could sum it up for you like this. Next slide here. Uh, motherhood can honor God or not. It can't. A career can honor God or not. But what matters most to Jesus is if you are living God's word. So if you're a mother in the room, say you're a full-time mom, and you consider that vocationally to be what God's called you to in this season of your life, I want you to hear me say, right on. Go for it. The next generation will change the world. The only question is how. And you hold the formative clay of their hearts and their minds in the palms of your hand as a mom. You know what I believe? I believe revival in a nation, it doesn't start in a White House. It doesn't start in a Supreme Court. It doesn't start in a Capitol building. No, revival starts around dinner tables. It starts in toy rooms. It starts on the drive to school and back home every day as you press in one small investment at a time into your kids. We have been called by Jesus to love the lost and make disciples, love the lost and make disciples, love the lost and make disciples. When you have kids, the front lines of that battle is in the bedroom down the hall, right? So go after it, moms. Go after it. You know, there's a cultural lie out there from sort of the progressive way of thinking that says that if you give your life vocationally to motherhood or if you take decades off of your career in order to raise kids, somehow you're a lesser woman. Somehow you're setting things back for women. Somehow you're like supporting the patriarchy or, or whatever it may be, right? I would tell you that God would say the opposite. Parenthood can honor him. Motherhood can honor him. Again, you're raising up the next generation. Now, this is in part, by the way, why there's so much shame around motherhood. Because moms set the bar so high for themselves. You don't want to make a mistake. You don't want to mess your kids up. But here's what we all learn about the time when we hit 25. Our parents messed us up. At least just, even if you had great, well-adjusted parents, they screw you up just a little bit, all right? And so as a parent, it's like the goal is just to screw them as, as little as possible, right? Like, just let them get out of my house alive, right? So that's like, that's, that's, how, that's how you end up processing it. So, Put so much pressure on yourselves, moms. T today, if you hear anything, hear this. Okay? When you mess up, confess, ask for forgiveness, repent, and draw nearer to Jesus. And that right there alone will be one of the best examples you can set for your children. All right, now, uh, 
On the other hand, for those of you ladies in the room who have sensed that, uh, or who, who have not sensed that calling to be a mom, or have not been given that opportunity to be a mom, or maybe you do both, you're like full-time mom, full-time in the workplace, let me read this passage to you again, because you need to hear it. Luke eleven twenty eight. Jesus replied, even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. So you are not a lesser woman either. There is another cultural lie, kind of from the far right end of the spectrum, that says that if you're not devoting your life to like full-time motherhood, or if you're single, or if you haven't had a kid, or whatever it may be, you are a lesser woman. You're a lesser human. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus' calling here is not limited based on your age, your marital status, or your childbearing capacity. So if God isn't calling you to be a mother or a wife, that doesn't mean God isn't calling you. It just means he's calling you somewhere else. Answer the call. Question number two. We've handled motherhood. Let's talk about sexy. Um, This is almost blasphemous to say. How sexy do you have to be to be loved by Jesus? Okay, let's just pause for a second. Time out on the sermon. And let me me take you back a a few days ago when I was writing this. Um, the power of, this, of the questions that I'm asking today is, is meant to be in just how stupid and ridiculous they are, okay? The answer should be obvious, so time in. How sexy do you have to be to be loved by Jesus? Okay. Would it surprise you if I were to tell you today that if you read all four Gospels this week, you would not find one, not one comment from Jesus or the authors of the Gospels on the physical attractiveness of any of his followers, male or female, not one. And you want to know why? Because they didn't care. It didn't matter. Uh, Next slide here. It's interesting, the Gospels presented Jesus who judges people from the inside out, not the outside in. And I wonder if, if any of us could get a little better at that. We live in an outside-in culture, don't we? We live in a culture that judges people first based on the color of their skin or based on the clothes that they wear or based on their physical attractiveness. But that was not a priority for Jesus. You know what Jesus cared about? Jesus cared about heart, not hot. We can learn a thing or two from that. Now, that being said, that is not to say that biblical womanhood or manhood has nothing at all to do with sex. A brief word on that today. I'm already talking about women. Let's just, okay. PG-13, if you have uh, a young child in the room, this would be a great time to get a cup of coffee. Uh, our, uh, Our culture has become sexualized and pornified today like nothing I've ever seen. We live in a society that has basically removed all restraints on sex except for consent. And we did it thinking that it would free us. Uh, the idea really started to pick up traction in the 1960s when what uh, historians call the sexual liberation movement or the sexual revolution was launched. Basically, the idea behind the sexual revolution was uh, that if we stop making such a big deal about sex, it wouldn't be such a big deal. So that's the playbook our country's been running for six decades now. Now, we have the, uh, we have the luxury of retrospect, y'all, right? So we can look back a generation later, and you tell me, how's it gone? Look around our culture today. Are we more or less healthy when it comes to sex? 
are women more or less free when it comes to sex? See, I think, I think an argument for health would be a very difficult argument to make. Because what I see is I see a lot of pain, I see a lot of confusion, I see a lot of suffering, and I see a lot of that carried on the shoulders, not of men, but of women and the children in our society. Still today, thousands upon thousands of unborn children are aborted. Why? Because sex has been taken out of its appropriate boundaries. Uh, today, there is an invisible father epidemic around our country. Why? Because sex has been taken outside of its appropriate boundaries. There's a porn epidemic, and it's contributing to the objectification of women. It's contributing to sex trafficking around the globe. And it's making men look at women like they are like some sort of piece of meat from a butcher shop. Why? Because sex has been removed from its appropriate boundaries. Today, there's a movement of women, actually. Uh, rising up, saying that for years now, this has not been working for us. Like powerful men have been using sex as a bargaining chip against us so we can have upward social mobility. And that's not right. That's not okay. And they're right. Why? Because sex has been removed from its appropriate boundaries. Now, call me old fashioned. That's fine. But I believe God put boundaries on sex. I don't know for a reason because it's powerful. When it's inside of its boundaries, it gives life. When it's outside of its boundaries, it can bring death. When it's inside of its boundaries, it can build a family. When it's outside of its fa- uh, boundaries, it can tear a family down. When it's inside boundaries, it can be the backbone of a civilization and society. When it's outside of its boundaries, it can be its Achilles heel. Basically, I heard it said like this once, sex is like a fire. In its appropriate context, it can warm the home. Outside of it, it can burn the home down. So you know what we need? We need a generation of women who demand that sex be honored on God's terms within its appropriate boundaries, and then they hold men to it. I will not be objectified. I will not be pornified. I will not be abused, abandoned, or thrown to the curve. I will be honored because I'm created in God's image. I have enormous dignity eternally, undeniably because of that, and Jesus died for me. And if Jesus loved me that much, so should you. Hey, you wanna know what will get a man's attention? Failure. So set hard boundaries, ladies, and if he walks over those, kick his butt to the curb. And he may not come back, and that'll be sad, but at least you'll do the next woman a favor. Oh, you know what else we need? We need a generation of men who say amen. We need a generation of men who reject passivity. You know what passivity is in men? When they refuse to tell other men what the right thing is to do when they see wrong in their life. I am sick and tired of hearing the excuse, well, that's just locker room talk. I'm sick and tired of hearing, the, you know, well, boys will be boys. I'm tired of hearing like the celebrities say, I never knew. Yeah, you did. You just didn't have the courage to call it out. So we need a generation of men who has that sort of courage, who looks at their brother in Christ sometimes and says, I see this in you, it's wrong, and I'm not okay with it. You know what we need? We don't need a a sexual revolution that liberates sex. We need a sexual revolution that respects it. And the women and the children and the men that it affects. Third question. And the last one. Got a question for you, ladies. How many people must a woman follow in order to be a follower of Jesus? (laughs) 
The answer is one, obviously. Uh, in order to be a follower of Jesus, all you have to do is follow uh, Jesus. And you know what I love about Jesus is that he actually welcomes women into his discipleship, uh, discipleship circle. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3 says, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary of Magdala, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Interesting. There's Joanna, wife of Chusa, Herod's business, uh, business manager. There's Susanna uh, and many others who were contributing from their own resources, wow, to support Jesus and his disciples. Now, three things real quick about this passage. One, we see a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, in the first century with women in his discipleship circle. You need to understand that would have been scandalous. They're traveling with him. They're sleeping in the same camp. Like that would have brought great scandal on Jesus, but he thought it was worth it. Second, uh, can you go back to verse two, previous slide here? I want you to see the kind of women he brought along with him. Mary of Magdala, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Now, I'm not even sure what that means. Like, it's I guess it's not as bad as eight demons, but like, what does it mean to even have seven demons in you? Not good, okay? And yet, Jesus heals her, heals her, and then fast forward to the resurrection, and all of a sudden, she takes center stage, she sees the risen Jesus first, and she goes and evangelizes the disciples. Go to the next slide here. Last thing I want you to notice is that also in Jesus' circle, we're rich women, rich women, I'm just saying they're rich women, women who were bankrolling Jesus' ministry through their financial support. So can we just take a moment real quick? Let's pray for the, for the rich women in the room. God, thank you for rich women. Will you multiply them in this church? In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> now, this is a circle. I love this. This is a circle. You know, one day uh, Jesus was actually at Mary and Martha's house. And you remember the story. Uh, Martha was busy with the woman's work. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus learning. This is how the story play, plays out. Uh, Luke 10, 39, it says, uh, her sister, Martha's sister, Mary, sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. Now, when Martha saw this, she gets a little bit ticked off, understandably so, because she's doing work and Mary's not. So, verse 40, says, Martha came to Jesus and she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come help me. But then Jesus blows up her understanding of womanhood, right? When he responds like this, 41, he says, But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. Now, many people today, especially in women's ministry contexts, read this as a passage about busyness. And certainly we can take application from it about our busyness because we live in a culture of overload. But that is not primarily or fundamentally what this passage is about. This passage is about discipleship. In the first verse it said Mary sat at the Lord's feet. That is a technical term for being the disciple of someone. And literally Jesus looks at Martha in the eyes and he says that's where a woman belongs. At the feet of as a disciple of Jesus. So as we bring this to close today, I guess I would ask every woman 
listening and watching this today, are you, are you a disciple of Jesus? Do you want to be? What a beautiful vision of womanhood he gives for our lives. You know, it's really not that hard to become a disciple. All you have to do is reach for Jesus. My favorite interaction between Jesus and a woman was Mark chapter 5. In Mark 5, uh, Jesus is going and he's healing uh, people. He's preaching. He's on his ministry tour, and the crowds are getting really big. They're pressing in on him. In fact, he's on the way to heal uh, the daughter of this man uh, named Jairus, and the crowds have gotten, like, so big that they're just kind of, like, pushing Jesus around. And, and this, there's this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. She spent all of her money on doctors trying to find a cure for this. She can't find one. 12 years she's been bleeding. But she just decides Jesus is in town today, and if I can touch him, maybe he will heal me. So she goes to the crowd. She's not supposed to be in a crowd. She's unclean. She's been bleeding for years. According to Jewish law, she's supposed to be isolated. But she goes into the crowd. She starts pushing her way through the crowd. She just wants to touch the cloak of Jesus. Maybe it will heal her. And she reaches out and touches him. And you remember what happened? Immediately she knows she's well. Immediately. Now, when she touches her, though, Jesus stops. And he's in this crowd. He just stops. And he's like, who touched me? And the disciples are like, Jesus, everybody's touching you, man. Like, what do you mean, who touched me? He goes, no, someone touched me. I felt power go out of me. And this woman, I don't know if she's fearful or what, but she hits her knees in front of him. She confesses to him what she's done. And do you know how Jesus responds to her? I love this. Mark 5, verse 34, it says, Jesus said to her, daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Wouldn't you love to hear Jesus say that to you today? I want to show you one more picture of my daughter just because I got the microphone today, all right? And, and I want to see, can you put the picture? There she is. And I tell you what, um, if you were to ask any parent or grandparent in this room, they could produce a picture of their daughter or their granddaughter in a second because of the affection and love they feel for them. Jesus looks at this woman and calls her daughter. Did you know that this is the only time in all four gospel accounts, check me on this, that Jesus calls anyone daughter? This right here. Why? Well, I believe there's something going on here that's more than just a physical healing. There's a spiritual healing happening here. There's the healing of a social stigma, an emotional burden that this woman has been carrying around. If Levitical law was followed by her, then because of her bleeding, again, she's unclean, which means she can't go to worship services at her church. There was a viral model of uncleanness in Jewish circles. So she couldn't risk touching something that somebody else would touch and making them unclean or making the priest unclean or whatever. So she couldn't go to temple. She couldn't go to worship services. She couldn't sleep in the same bed as her husband. She couldn't hug her children without making them subsequently unclean. This means that this woman for 12 years had been living a life of isolation as a social a pariah, wondering if she's beloved by her community and family, wondering if she's beloved by God. And what I love about this encounter with Jesus is that when she reaches out and touches him, he doesn't get unclean, rather he reverses the Mosaic law and she gets clean. And then he calls her daughter. 
daughter. To which I think, boy, you're 30 years old. Who you think you are calling her daughter? But exactly, who does he think he is calling her daughter? You know, what I love about the Christian story is that it answers one of the core questions, core longings in all of our heart. And that is this. All of us ask it at some point. Does anyone really want me? Does anyone really care? Now, if there is no God, then the answer to that question is no. I just got to speak real with you. We're here because of luck. Some random chance explosion produced us. We're decaying matter on decaying matter. And one day the world's going to implode or explode into like, I don't know, a bajillion different pieces. And no one's going to remember anything anyone ever did. So no, you don't matter. But if the Christian story is true, then you need to know that the only reason you exist is because you matter. If the Christian story is right, then the The only reason you exist today is because God wanted you, because God wanted to. He didn't need to create us. He existed in perfect triune community, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, for eternity past before us. He didn't need you. He didn't need to. No, he wanted you. He wanted to. You do not exist by accident. You're not here by accident. You're here because you are beloved and desired by God. In fact, I believe that you're here today listening to this message because God wants you to hear that you are beloved by God. He wants you, and for some of you, he doesn't have you. So I would just remind you today that Luke chapter 15 describes our heavenly father as a prodigal father pacing on the front porch, waiting for the rebel son, waiting for the rebel daughter to come home. And when she does, you know what the prodigal father does? He doesn't wag his finger at her. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't say, you should have listened to me the first time. No, he runs to her. And he doesn't even ask for an apology. He just runs to the prodigal son, embraces him, puts a ring on her finger, a robe on his back, and says, it's time to throw a party. It's time to celebrate because my son that was dead is now alive. My daughter who was lost is now found. But before he can throw the party, the son, the daughter, has to come home. So today, I'm inviting you. In fact, at the crossing, we expect response. I'm expecting you to respond to the tug of the Holy Spirit and the love of God in your heart today. Right now, We're moving to a time of decision.